Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. This is HobbsQ. My pronouns are he, him. I can be found on Twitter at HobbsQ. And I'm just introducing today's episode as it is a second part. Uh, last week, Alex and I went through the beginning of our top 10 list. Um, and what top 10 meant was interpreted wildly different between the two of us. So today we're going to continue on with those lists uh, in celebration of Hipsters of the Coast 10th anniversary with putting out content. Before we get started, we always want to say thank you to the Grinding Coffee Company for their support. Uh, just a great organization to be paired with. Uh, you can find them uh, at the, just the, at Grinding Coffee Company online. And they are a minority-owned LGBT-ran coffee company that really is, is committed to helping gamers and to spread word. And uh, we're, they just have a mission statement that we greatly believe in. And we just want to always give them a shout out. So with that, I'll just let Alex and myself take it back away. Um, all right. So that'll be number four. So for number four is uh, A Long Way to a Small and Angry Planet. So this is a book. Um, this is, again, I, I said, you know, I said earlier that generally it's, it's, um, Fantasy is where I, where I like to live with stories, but this is a science fiction book, and this is like kind of like Mass Effect and like some others. Um, this is a science fiction book that kind of has that okay, humanity made it. I'm, I'm I can be happy about that. It's set kind of far in the future. Um, there's some not great circumstances to how humanity kind of got on, out into space and living, but won't really belabor that if you're interested in the book you can you can see that it's all stuff that that's all stuff that happens in the background but this book is basically just about a crew on a ship whose job is to go around punching holes in space to create hyper hyperspace jumps essentially so that people can quickly travel from from one system to another and so they are just this it, it's it's a well worn and wonderful uh, sci-fi trope of the ship full of misfits who have created a found family who are out in space kind of doing the jobs that they can to make the money to keep flying and this is a book that was actually recommended to me by someone on the air when uh, when i recorded an episode uh, last year with morgan um, who is a certified book scientist uh she recommended this book to me after we we kind of started the episode talking about books we'd been reading uh, recently. And I can't remember what I mentioned. And I mentioned that I was kind of consuming a lot of more slice of life, not, not necessarily feel good, more slice of life stuff, just kind of down to earth um, types of stories. And she recommended this to me. And this is, it was a very good story in that, um, that sort of vein. So yeah, Long Way to a Small and Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. Awesome. Number four, Commander. Thanks, Alex, <laughs> for because I actually had this one. You know, my top ones act I, I, from here on out. I am pretty solid. And so I had to laugh because I wanted Solemn to just kind of be like, a, eh. and yeah, then you went into the there. format itself and about like uh, <laughs> all of these things that I love about it personally myself. And I was just like, great, oh, cool. Boy, I'm sorry. This, by the way, <laughs> how we hold, this is, and I would, I wouldn't change it. I doubt we would, but this is how we record these types of episodes. We do not share our list with each other beforehand because we want genuine reactions 
from each other. Well, I didn't even have a list show. except for what I got to like the top well, yeah. four. I know. <laughs> like, like I so, yeah. For uh, for anyone who went <laughs> to the show, if you go back and listen to some of our episodes, or even going forward, because like I say we have no intention of changing. This. <laughs> we have no intention. This is how our show operates. <laughs> yeah. We we are we we will have things that are a little more scripted. We'll have things where we have a little more stuff. But like this, I do have my full list, but I don't I don't share it with Hobbs until we're recording. <laughs> I couldn't even share mine, but I also yeah. couldn't like interrupt you and be like, oh, well, no. but it's like, yeah. you know, the, the conversation is the content for us a lot of times. It, it is. And anyway, I mean, it's, it's, it is true because I mean, <laughs> well, it, it also just shows that there's a natural kind of, um, you know, given, give and take to what we do. And there is a, the similarity in, in thought processes between us, you know, there, there are places where obviously we diverge, we have our perspectives, but there also is, is elements of overlap and, why this works um this being the show itself but you know playing magic and you know why we have are able to play games together i would say fairly well and and have had fun when we've played because we have a similar mindset and commander is that um for you know the when i started playing magic it was 60 card for the most part four card decks um for for you know you might play four of if you had them um well i mean when i first started it was like whatever we had right but i mean as i started actually learning to build decks it was still casual and it was still 60 card decks with four of that followed like just no real rule set in i mean no rule set in the terms of like standard where it was this set that this set or extended where it was back so many blocks that people don't even know what extended is or modern if we want to say that right like some version that there was like a set it was more like legacy or vintage except we weren't playing stuff like that we were just playing cards from throughout all of magic's history and and that was right and that was or, or like once i got to the point of building my own I might still seek out cards that I want for the deck, but I wasn't going to pay attention to anything to do with it when it was done. Like, it would be like, can I get it if I want it? And like, does it do what I want the deck to do? Right. Like my Norn the wary casual 60 card deck, like ran random cards from Tempest, like, last ditch effort where you sack so many creatures because it was making a ton of little tokens off of a uh, mirror, uh, whatever, the mirror generator whenever one comes in creature comes in you make a one one um like so i was just trying to do that right like so i was just like well if i could all of a sudden sacrifice all of them that would be cool and do a ton of damage but like it didn't i didn't have a reason that it needed to come from a certain time frame or set commander changed this even when it was first coming out like when i first started playing commander it was like 2010 i mean it was elder dragon highlander we weren't far removed from the concept of like only certain you know like people were using any legend but like you know like there was still a reason that the deck was called elder dragon highlander you played a elder dragon you could have highlander right there'd been lots of attempts at singleton formats there was you know like what is it like prismatic there was uh well prismatic was just like 250 card decks or you know i mean there was wild things out there but none of them had a philosophy and a deck building restriction that really drew you to building it and as you said at the point of when i started right like i i like i had a deck with a soul ring in it because i owned a soul ring yep um, like that was an expensive card uh compared to what i was playing um yeah. because it hadn't been reprinted uh, in yeah, a, and you, you, you 20 years. At, <laughs> yeah, and you look at it, its price now, and 
even now it it demands a few bucks for the cheapest printings. Oh, and, and it's been printed into the ground. Oh, yeah, and that's with Wizards continuously yeah, like, to yeah. keep that price there. Like every yeah. Commander deck precon that is printed has a Soul Ring in it, so that the price doesn't get out of hand because that, it's such that's a how for people the format. got Soul Rings. Yeah, was the first precons to most people. That was how it started, right? Like, you know, it's been mm-hmm. in some other sets, but like it was put into these, the very first precons. Has because it since, since the revised? Uh, uh, it was it, in like a mystery booster, I want to say. Maybe mystery booster. I mean, yeah, okay, it's, like, it's still not. I don't like, think it really has but, been. But yeah. anyway. Every single one has been every into a precon, but like, Precons are often played. Some people keep them, right? Like yeah. people build a lot of decks. I got like 14 of them. I literally mm-hmm. had to go looking for a soul ring the other day and I got confused. But <laughs> when I started, I had one because it was from revised. Like I didn't have options. So I mean, Commander still was it had a it had a way to tell stories. It had a thing, something that yeah. you were building around. You had restrictions. I am a big fan of restrictions. Mm-hmm. Um, it got to the point where stuff started being a little homogenized, and we've we in my local play group. So I mean, we can talk about this in the wider commander world right now. There's been this discussion of like things solidifying, but like my commander group was becoming that way in 2013 before I moved here to Minnesota. And me and one buddy started trying to get people to play like a peasant version where we used any rare creature, and you could only use commons and uncommon. I mean, like, but there was ways to to do stuff like that and still stay within the rules ish. I mean, we weren't playing legends, but I mean, there still was a hundred cards singleton, right? Like there was still this idea that you had to stay within color restriction. There was these things that I think help breed creativity when you want it to. And commander is like the de facto way to play magic. And I, there's, we could talk all about that is like, that's going down it because I'm going with things that I love. And like, yeah. there's elements that just like any hobby, any thing that are not going to be great, but commander in it's at its core is yeah. the way to play magic. And like, it was the way for me to play magic before it became the de facto way to play magic. Like I had basically yeah. gotten to only playing it. And I think that that is what happened. Like it, mm-hmm. it came to the point where you show up at an LGS. Nobody had a 60 card random deck that wasn't, modern or legacy or for standard right they just yeah prior everybody had those that's yeah that's what we had that's what we had at my kitchen table even my lgs i could find people to play it got to be if i went those places and i didn't have an eh deck it was a lot harder to play so yeah number four edh number four edh all right um number three uh um i'm gonna go with halite which is rock salt I was going to say, right? Like, okay, I didn't know. Like, is, This was one of those ones that I had to wonder, is there a piece of media that I don't know no, called no, no. Halite? So. No, this is, this is because it is, you know, a very, you know, salt is just super important for, for lots of things, both nutritionally and, and culinarily. But also I, I love this idea that there is something that is both a rock and a food. It's, it's great. I, I mean, I don't know what else there is to say about salt. It's, it's good and, and generally people i don't know what else to say about salt like right like like, yeah Yeah. it's it's so good for all of that and so important to all that that yeah there it is i mean well i was gonna say it it, salt is uh, you know like 
I'm going to make a joke at my own expense here in the sense of kind of the, the stereotype of, oh, yeah. of like being white and like oh, the, the, ex, the extent of your seasoning that's... or I guess even being from the Midwest. I've heard this a lot too, but oh, you know, like, yeah. like salt and pepper is like pepper is too spicy. Um, and like, <laughs> but, but, but like at, it doesn't matter. Salt is a key ingredient in all cooking. Yes, and, like and white people a, should use more. We'll just go with that. Yeah, most people should use I have, more. I, but, have to, I, I have to keep reminding myself to. I have to put it in the food I make. I've had to tell people this with like. You, I've had to tell this like about burgers. People just don't salt them, right? And like, oh. then they go to a restaurant and they're like, "Why does this taste so good?" I'm like, "It's got salt in it." Yeah, like they they cook their burgers yeah. with salt. Like that's, it's an ingredient. Like, that's uh, when when I've, one of the thing I've been cooking recently again is my dad used to make these fried potatoes, which are just. It's it's the simplest thing, but you just take a potato, slice it as thin as you can slice it yourself by hand, and then fry it in some oil with some onion, and that's your thing. But like the first time I made it, because it had been years and years since I made this, I, I forgot to salt it, and it had been a long time. And I put ketchup in it because I'm a Minnesotan. I put ketchup on basically almost every form of potato, so I didn't quite notice it. Then I made the second batch <laughs> that I remembered to salt, and was like, "Why do these taste so much better?" And it was like, "Oh." Because I salted the stupid things. Yep. Put salt, salt in your water food. when you're making pasta, people. I mean, we're getting dangerously close into a whole Goblin Games episode or a, a, a color pie of food where it's just salt. Because <laughs> it could be seasonings, I guess. But we need, yeah. like, we, oh, yeah, like, we should do a seasonings episode. We should do a seasonings episode. You know, Hobbs, it has been a very long time since you and I, in the middle of an episode, went. That should be an episode. Yeah. It used to be a common thing. We used to do that every episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, partly I would say up until <laughs> recently, we actually did a well job of for a month or two actually having a plan. There's that. And also I realized we have referenced several episodes we've already recorded. So I think part of it was when we first started, we didn't have a backlog. No, no, no. We, we didn't have a back catalog. No, so no. We couldn't references, as I said in this previous episode, yeah. as I've said in the past, it was all brand new. And no, all no, it was like, oh, we can actually do that. We have a show. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Salt is, I mean, well, like, specifically highlight, but I mean, like, just, yeah, yeah, you're, you that got was, me. That was a rock kind of a, and a, that's yeah, a that goblin. That's to, your, like, jump into. That's your answer that encompasses goblins too. Yeah, exactly. Because it's rocks and food, but in this case, it's both. It's both. Okay. All right. Number three. Number three. Artist proofs. <laughs> I mean, only number three. Only number three. Uh, yeah, because number two and number one are awesome. Okay. I, 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 I feel like we're getting to the point where, like, cool. I feel like we're getting to the point where all of mine no longer are shocking. We've now That's... hit the point of the point of the show where people, if they know Hobbs, yes can probably figure these ones out it's and true. i'm and not you, making them up anymore and, and i do need to to give you some credit and and to take back that a little bit you at the top you <laughs> did say no particular order and then I, I did and then we get here and i get shocked about the particular order and it's like nope no to be I fair apologize. now that we've hit mm, four and above yeah. we, it is kind of an order okay fair but enough. That's mainly because I didn't have five through ten. Um, <laughs> so artist proofs, if people do not know at this point, um, <laughs> um, artist proofs are magic cards that have a normal magic front and a white back to them. And they are cards that from almost the beginning, um, there are ones that are called beta. They were printed at the same time as collector's edition, i.e., but they and they have square corners, but they're actually 
like Jesper Myforce, who was the uh, like art director, calls them beta. So I, I'm going with that. Like there's been discussion about this, but like they were run at the same time off of the beta like imprints. So was IE and CE. They just had like a, a gold magic back. These have no magic back. So theoretically, anyway, these have been around since then. So they have been here since the beginning of the game. They were conceived as a way to have a gift to give to the artists um, in the sense that artists were given some number of these. Uh, it's become a little more codified that it's roughly 30 non-foil, 50 or 50 non-foil, 30 foil. But that also varies from set to set. You'll you'll get ones that are numbered and they don't match that. And in the old days, it was kind of like the Wild West. I've got some that are numbered that's like out of Legends ones are out of 100. But like, I've had some that are numbered out of like 64, right? Like the artists, they weren't consistent um, because it was based on like print runs and everything else. But the reason they are important to me now um, and things that I love, they are a way to get money generally into the hands of the artists because like unless they're all gone, like you're looking for old cards, like the artists may have given them away um, because artists didn't know what to do with them necessarily early on. Um, or thrown them away in some cases because they just didn't think of that. I mean, they weren't because they, they, they right. Let's think about this. Like it's a magic front with a white back. It's not playable in yeah, anything. It's, it's not yeah, theoretically. They're, they're not playable in sanctioned magic, but so right. much like commander right. and things is unsanctioned these days. But there wasn't commander, right? There wasn't, yeah, there wasn't people that. playing a ton of unsanctioned type stuff. So like yeah, for a lot also, of years, they, these were an oddity. They were and, a cool magic that, thing. Yes, and, and back then too, sleeves were also not a thing. Right. So like, you can yeah, right. To like, the point where not only did people generally not use sleeves, but at like tournaments, if you had your card sleeve, you had to de-sleeve them. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. um like casually I would use we would use penny sleeves to help protect the cards. But like we didn't have all of these opaque sleeves that yeah. exist these days. Yeah, yeah. That allow you to sleeve up cards that have different backs and use them in your deck. Right. Right. Like you mean like you, you mean yes, and so not um, even just uh, in this particular thing. It's not even just artist purse, but you know, like the double face cards, things like that. You yeah, can yeah. Play those in your deck these days. But you mean there's of... a lot of movement even towards just proxies in in, mm -hmm. in non-sanctioned yeah. formats, and this is a oh, yeah. way, another way to do it. Absolutely. But it is a way, for the most part, now to make relationships with artists um, to give money directly to artists uh they will sketch some will some won't i mean there's a whole world it is a wild separate weird world that is now melding with like people who play i think before it was just a collector's item but that world is also melding with people who play more and there's a lot of intersections when we want to talk about artist proofs but for the most part they are a way to get money into the hands of artists directly uh, which to me is always an amazing thing if you're able to do it. If I'm going to be buying cards, like I love that. And on top of that, it has been a way for us, my, I guess us, you and I, in the sense of like uh, Ant Waters came on the show because him and I struck up a conversation after I had started to buy artist proofs from him. Right. Like that, that's, that's something that we had the opportunity to do and in interview a magic artist that that relationship developed because you know, and, like, and, and I, yeah, it's, it's a way to, to support these artists. And, and that has kind of pulled some, not, not all of them and the, the ones who kind of have wanted to, but it's given a little bit more of a way to like pull them into the community in a way that they were really pretty separated before. Like, yeah, you know, they would sell, uh, 
Some might come to events, but it was a small number. That's yeah, increasing. And, and what would you sell? Like they, they could sell prints, prints, they could sell tokens, because back then like they, they could even do uh, playmats. And like nope. now there's a lot more flexibility for, for them to do playmats. Or they'll um, do a new art that's a, a play on an old one that lets yep. them do a play. I mean, there's, there's, there's yeah. ways. But like even just this, you know, like the, the artists have had a way to kind of, I, I don't know, like not just artist proofs, but in general, this gets me into my like tangent on artists, which is a related to artist proofs. You know, like we've had Jeff Laubenstein on the show when he was doing his Goblin a Day token thing. Well, he started traveling to events, not something that somebody who hasn't designed or, or you know, had a new magic card come out since like, I don't remember because we looked it up, but it was, it's been a while. Um, had a reprint re recently with one of the Dalphy Horrors because of the shadow card that went in a precon. But like, he's now traveling all over the world into these events, selling proofs, doing tokens, doing art. Uh, even he's done so. Like, this is giving a different life and a different relationship with magic art. And yeah, I love artist proofs. That's my number three. That's great. I love it. All right. So my number two. Um, it was when the Death Star blows up in Star Wars Episode Four, <laughs> um, specifically. And there's a little bit I got it. I it's the special, the first special edition that was on the VHS because it was okay. Because that was this is I literally have so many questions right now. So okay, go go ahead, go ahead. And, I will that, come. and, and I'll say I know that those editions had some other questionable choices from George Lucas, and I'm not going to try to defend any of them. But I was a kid when those editions came out, and that explosion just was amazing. Like, I couldn't believe how cool that looked. Because I had seen the previous versions. My parents probably had them on VHS, or maybe we recorded them off TV, I'm not sure. We had a previous version, and it, it was great. It was one of my favorite movies. Um, it's still among my favorite movies of all time. But that to see that new version, that updated thing, it was just incredible. So I think, okay, so the reason I was going to jump in was because the special editions um, were how I was able to see the, the original trilogy, except for Return of the Jedi, which is the first movie that I can actually remember seeing in a theater uh, at age like three or four. Um, but anyway, other than that, it was the way that I got to see them in the theater. Right. Like special editions meant I got to see these movies that I grew up with and were my childhood movie as somebody born in 1979 that like they were my like that's Death Star blowing up to me with the original version was mind blowing for my parents. I bet it was even more so. Right. Like because like that was not graphics that were of the things that I loved when I did get to see them finally in high school, <laughs> gosh, Alex, some days you just make me feel a little buddy. I uh, know, I'm sorry. But it was seeing the Death Star blown up, right? Like yeah. that, that, like that is where special editions are meant for, right? Like, yeah, adding in unused footage of Harrison Ford with a sock puppet that they turn into Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> you're like, that's not. That's the um, one I was just thinking of. It's like uh, I'm not going to try to defend basically no. any of the other decisions he made, but that, the, but. Updating yeah. graphics, cleaning things up, that's fine yeah. to me. Like, didn't make them sterile. But, like, adding it to be a better explosion, yeah. 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 So that, that was my number two. I – when we get done with your list of a whole, we're going to have to do some, like, recaps. <laughs> oh, yeah. You yeah, have we'll context. But I also have thoughts. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. number two, goblins. <laughs> <laughs> yep, okay. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, like, checks out. 
checks out, right? Like this is things I love about magic, and it is. They and this show. So thank you, Joe, because like I was a I, I've said this on the show before. I was my I did not play a lot of these strategies uh, with creature types. My if I would have chosen one, it would have been zombies um, prior to this. And as we've gone along and like I've learned to read about goblins and I've learned to just, you know, like. You know, I, I I kind of almost the joke about like like I maybe I liked them ironically at first, but then it definitely was only a short period of time because even if I was just like haha, I have to say this because I'm a goblin paced podcast and I want to be funny. At the same time, I started realizing how many goblins I did like in Magic and how many things about goblins. And I mean, this is whole the basis. If you want to go back to the three parter we just finished with Spice Eight Rack, it basically. It, it, it is the reason we recorded with it for three hours mm -hmm. was because of this. And it's because of the the communal nature of goblins. It's because of their place of getting to be the jokes or to have elements of like the legends have gotten better and they've just given them more depth to them. And even when they're chaotic, they're chaotic with like lovableness i don't know like i'm thinking of like quark yeah quark is a gambling gambling gob and like mm -hmm. coin flipping is something i love and yeah. i you know but like part of what quark really wants to do is like minimize his risk he's a gambler he's actually looking to improve his odds as much as we want to joke about him being a gambler like we had this with the episode with with uh orcish like you know the, the the goals of gambling theoretically if you're a hardcore gambler from a game theory perspective is to minimize randomness it's not to increase it yeah. right it's oh, it's yeah. funny that we talk about this because like coin flipping the goals of the decks that do play these is to minimize chaos which is funny because of the perception of chaos and i think that that's why there's just so much depth when talking about it yeah um yeah yeah and i you know i've talked the same same thing uh, originally that was not goblins were not a, a, a big thing that was you know super compelling to me from from the game i mean i had no issues with goblins no I, no i, I, I never did yeah. and, and i i was just chuckling because you because you you when you were saying like if you did have a creature type you'd kind of build a deck around you would you your preference was more zombies before and for me i had to, i stopped and thinking like what was one of the first ones i built a deck around and you probably wouldn't guess this, but when I say it to you, it's weird enough. You'd go, yeah, that, that makes sense. Oh, it was. Yeah, 100% Thalad. You guess it. You got it. In one, I built a Thalad deck in Fallen Empires. So, like, garbage Thalads. Like, it wasn't good. But this is back when, you know, you talk about the 60-card casual decks. You just build what you have. But the, the whole system built around the Thalids that would get counter, spore counters every turn, and then you could turn those spore counters into creatures, and I liked that system. So that was my that was one of the first decks I ever built myself was a Thalid deck. See, I don't know why, like, I, I, like, I don't know if I've, <laughs> no, like, I like, you probably have said this, I and I just like, said that, but I'm not sure I have. I'm not like, sure that's ever come up. It also makes just complete sense to me. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that route because I was thinking about the time that I built um, right before we returned to Mirrodin, speaking mm -hmm. of Phyrexians, I built a poison deck for EDH nice. at a time when like that basically was like 
a handful of cards that ever gave poison counters from early on in Magic. Yes. And then it was like MVP. And then it was the sliver that gave slivers poison. Nice. And like I built that in ways to keep reanimating in case I need to. And it was a hybrid, really bad hybrid sliver and those other cards deck. God, I love that. And I'm not joking, by the way, folks, if you're if you were not playing back then, uh Marsh Mosquito. Yeah, Mosquito is is a legitimate card. I believe it was the first one. No, it wasn't the first of Poison Counts. It's the first one I saw because it was Alliances. I think there was one in Arabian Nights that had poison. I might be wrong about that though. Anyway. So no, I, so like I just am laughing because like it, it uh, like because I then quickly fell off of that because like yeah. it was there was in fact it became a very different game. But goblins, yeah, that's my oh, number. Yeah. That's okay. my number two. Uh, I mean, it shouldn't shock people at this point. I've now set it up that you should know what's coming. If you didn't see goblins coming in the top two, then yeah. this is probably not and the podcast welcome, for you. Welcome to the show. We're glad. You're <laughs> like, <laughs> look, welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. We will yes. not be changing our name. <laughs> no, a, a, a name that was not it was on our list of of early names but it was i honestly i don't know that it was it was not my front runner um but that's neither here nor there i think we yeah it's, it it doesn't team. matter right like, it matter, like that's where we are that's where we are and i it, it like would be kind of crappy to go back and change it oh, yeah no it's, uh, yeah. it worked out really well i'm, it did. I'm very glad that's the that's the direction we went and that <laughs> well it, it kind of it helped to define where we wanted to be yeah, but it also, did. So it's one of those things where, like, it gave us structure, we, exactly, but yet didn't limit us. And based <laughs> on like this episode, like this episode, like you know what we wanted to do, it fit what we wanted to do. But then it has also then sort of helped define us as we go through it. It's it's just a nice back and forth relationship. But anyway, yeah, that, it's it's very symbiotic. Is that going to bring us to your number one? No, oh, not even. Dang it! Like, I was worried. Nope, that was going to be the transition of the cast of all time, yeah. if it was. And this can come up with some way of, of things that are deep fried because my number one is. <laughs> I am shocked that this is food related. Um, yeah, so it's, and specifically, because like a lot of these, when I have something that's a little more general, I want to be specific about what I'm thinking about. So donuts, but specifically, this is going to be, I'm going deep here, but that's what this whole episode's about. My favorite donut of all time, it is not Dunkin' Donuts. I do like Dunkin' Donuts. I like them a lot. There's one nearby. There's not many in Minnesota, but there's one by my apartment. Um, but my favorite are, uh, Glazed Old Fashioned Donuts from Cub, which is a grocery chain here in the Twin Cities. And when I say old fashioned, I need to define this because like, there's two different sort of uses of old fashioned when referring to donuts. This is blowing my mind. Okay. The the East Coast um, Dunkin' Donuts sort of of definition of it is is like a, a cake donut. And especially like if you go to Dunkin' Donuts specifically and you order an old fashioned, you'll get a plain cake donut with nothing. And that's kind of boring, but it's fine. Folks like that. That's right. This may be a Dunkin' Donuts thing. It may be a Dunkin' Donuts thing, but my understanding is that the, what I think of as old fashioned, what we call old fashioned is also called a sour cream donut in other places. I've actually looked into this. I've actually researched this after I got it, ordered an old fashioned at a Dunkin' Donuts in a, in an airport and was sorely disappointed. As I would expect you to be. Um, so a sour cream donut or what 
we would call old fashioned is a donut that just has sour cream like in the batter. But what that does is when it, it fries, it starts to break apart a little bit, just part of it. It kind of bursts a little bit. And what that does is, is it creates a lot more surface area. So you get more crunch because the, the parts that kind of burst out a little bit, create these like valleys and, and peaks on one end. And those valleys and peaks then fry a little more deeply because you just have more surface area. You get more crunch to it. And it creates a eating experience with more texture then. Especially I like their their glazed ones, Cubs glazed ones, because then you get a the sugar of the glaze, but also in those valleys, some of those that aren't fully crunchy, that glaze then becomes really gooey. And mm-hmm. so you get normal cake texture, you get the crunchy bits on the outside, and you get this gooey texture on the the inside of some of those crevices. I it, think this is less of a regional and more of a like corporate. Well, there's some of that, but like it, I I looked it up and sour like a, they're called a sour cream, but that thing, yeah, that, that is some places call them like this area generally Midwest is generally called that old fashioned. Other places call that a sour cream donut. Because I think yeah, like right, but I, I think most places I've ever lived, and I've lived mm-hmm. in three of the regions, right? Like a okay. Midwest, West Coast, East Coast. All three of those, I would have known what you were talking about yeah, as an old-fashioned. Old okay. Um, now, key things for people to realize about these that are amazing, they are a fried cake donut, which is not as common. So that's the other thing to be realizing. They do not typically tend to be a yeasted donut. So so a lot of times, cake donuts are like, well, they, they can be fried, but they don't have that like same like you would like a glazed donut or like a yeasted donut that has that rise to it. It has lebanine agent, so it's more of a cake, but it is, sorry, it is deep fried at a lower temperature, which is what gives it that crunchiness to it. Nice, yeah. Compared to other cake donuts. So a normal cake donut is kind of fried at a higher temperature so that you get more of the cake, but less of the crunch. Mm. Sorry. No, more explanation is better. I, after that one incident, went and did like a little bit of, of Googling and found that sort of discrepancy. And and that was years ago. And I don't know how thoroughly and well I researched that. So if you have more information, you definitely did. Uh, that is great context for, for people who have not experienced these. Yeah, that is um, my number one. And I, I, I like donuts in general. I, I go to Dunkin' pretty frequently because I can just walk to this one over here. And I like, I really do like them. But um, that particular donut is my favorite. Okay, my number one. Things I love about Magic the Gathering. I, I like have to know. Like, do you have a guess at this? Uh, I mean, the community? Yes! <laughs> See? I do. See? If yeah. You, yeah, like, right? Like, I'm not going to shock anybody at this point, yeah. hopefully. Like, I, I kind of think I, you like, you led us on a very cool ride. I'm going to say that. Like, all over the place, each of yours, you know, like, even if they were not in, if they were in order, if they weren't, I don't know. Mine, I knew I was building to this point on the show where it was going to become a little bit less chaotic, but more predictable. And that's because these are these are the things that I love and there's a reason for them, right? Like there's a reason that I don't play magic more than once a week. And I'm being generous when I say more than once a week because like I just played on Thursday and that may have been the first time in a month. Um, Before that, it may have been another month before that. There's been times when I've been able to play more during the pandemic. Um, But even prior to that, you know, I had a kid and my, my playing time was limited. At the end of the day, 
I am talking about magic on a weekly basis on a podcast. I am on a Twitter account where I talk about magic like a lot. I mean, <laughs> this is yeah. the understatement of the year when people don't go look at the number of tweets I've made over my life. I just want you all to know that. Uh, just just don't look at it. It's embarrassing um, because that's what I like to do. I like to talk and I like to talk to people about things and having a community is a place that I get to talk about things. And while that is about a card game, the card game is what brings us together. The card game is what gives a purpose or a meaning or gives a common language. It is part of it, but it is not the piece that I, you know, the playing of the game is not what I am mainly doing anymore. Um, it is the gathering. And even when I played it all the time, it was because I needed something to go do. Uh, this was when I was in grad school and, you know, I was in a relationship and it was ending and I needed a place to go and I needed people to be around and I needed to make friends and I needed to do all of these things. The gathering was what kept me playing magic throughout grad school. It's what kept me playing magic through having a job, through getting married, like being around people. It, magic was the way that I was able to do it. And this is something that we've talked about on the show because we are a community of communities, right? And that's what I love. Like, I don't have to play and I can still be engaged because we have story. We have cosplay. We have podcasts where like us and Spice and Ristic study that it's in that way of like, maybe we're not even talking in, about the game. The game's a framework because that's what we use, right? Like there's, there's a, there's just, a collection piece there is a hobby piece there is a art piece there is a story there is the actual play but there's even just theory about play there's theory about what does casual mean what does game mean what does fun mean and it's people it's people that make up the stories it's people that have these conversations and at the end of the day like I'm not trying to be cheesy in the way that I structured this with, you know, ending the episode. Well, coming towards the, the end of the episode yeah. on this, so we're moving on an hour and a half, possibly split into two episodes, depending on where that number five mark is, because that would be also us. Um, <laughs> but like that, you know, like that's we're a magic podcast, right? Even yeah. when we don't talk about magic, that's who our audience is. Yeah, that's kind of that's what's what brought us together. But now that we are a group together, that doesn't mean that has to be the only thing we do. So it's the, the community is is yeah, and and that for me, uh, while my list was not about the top ten things that I like about magic, my my list was actually just ten things, like my favorite of ten things. Um, also, while we're going into the outro, I do have a zero that was number one for a while, but that's just dogs. We'll just okay, that. that's just fair. Um, you know, there's a reason that you know Gavin Verhey every year does a you know like a a March Gladness, um, so uh, a a poll, and you know, dogs and cats were the winner of the first two years, and dogs was cats weren't oh, yeah. in, I don't think, but like dogs were the winner, right? Oh, yeah. Like you yeah. like, yeah. there's yeah. a reason, that's like a yeah, it's it's like a given. It's yeah, like, and that's why I, that's why I pushed it to zero because it's like yeah, I just have ten other things, but to talk about like the community. That's my favorite thing about magic too. Like that's what kept me. I spent more than two years over the course of the the you know the first two years of the pandemic, not even playing magic. Yeah, I continued. You, you weren't for, playing arena. You weren't playing I didn't play arena. And that's to MPG. be honest, that's why I don't play arena or or MPGO. I played it some. I played yeah. some, but I don't. Frankly, I don't enjoy the game without the community. 
I, I like magic as a game and, and there's, there's elements like the problem solving, the puzzle building. I enjoy the expression of deck building and some of that stuff, but like as a game, I'd rather do something else. Um, but it, the community of magic and, and the way that the game, um, not, not build, but, but the way the game gives a framework for a community, the way it gives a good scaffolding, for community because you know if you go to an event you might sit down you sit down with a deck and you just play with random people and then you pick that up and go play with other random people there are other games there are even other games that have good communities like i love playing dungeons and dragons and you can have a great community around that but the way those work generally is you're playing with the same group over and over again for weeks months that's great i love doing it but it is not the same as like magic where you can go to an event and play with 20, 30 different people on the same day and get to have conversations with all sorts of different people and from all over the place. And so that's why like during that pandemic, when I couldn't safely go play with people, I, I kind of just didn't play, but I was still part of the community because I came on this podcast. And Yeah. yeah so, so, you know, I, I laugh because you did your 10, 10 things of, uh, yeah. you know, like 10, 10 things. And I'm guessing it's almost like a one of 10 different categories. Yeah. Basically. And at the same time, there was a consistent theme of space. Yes. So like, it's funny because I guess we could talk about this when it comes to science fantasy versus science fiction, yeah. um, you know, Star Wars versus Star Trek, almost in, in the sense of, I mean, if we want to give it. Not that the science is the main yeah. focus on either, but technology and science is in, in Star Trek. There's much more focus versus Star yes. Wars. Where so it's, yeah, it's the I mean, fantasy it's tropes the fantasy. or fantasy things. I mean, even if we want to look at things yeah, like I, the Mandalorian, it's Westerns in space, which is, mm -hmm. I would argue, more on the fantasy-ish yep. realm. So like you, but even with that, you still had a lot to do with outer space in yeah, particular that's right. so that, that which is, was kind of cool big theme yeah for, for me that's a big thing that I'm, I'm kind of interested in attracted to i also have i'll say you you kind of alluded to it or caught on to it pretty quickly but i i intentionally speaking of scaffolding some of the few things that i sort of established right away new dogs that was my number one to start with before oh, you remember the word scaffolding but yeah yeah you said like three times and i will forget it by tomorrow yes but, you have <laughs> um the my top three were very, very specifically a food, a rock, and an explosion. Nice. Because oh, whenever we do the yeah. color pie of food, which it has yep. been a while since we did a new one, but whenever yep. we do the color pie of food, I always like to introduce, I always just like to start that topic with, we're here to talk about one of Goblin's three favorite things. And that's just a joke I came up with off the cuff the first oh, time yeah. we talked about food, but it has come back and it has now become a meme. Yeah. And I missed, memes, the ex maybe? I missed the explosion. Yeah, that was, that was the Death Star. Ah, uh, yeah. Gosh, that, wow. That's a little embarrassing. That, would, that is one of the few that hasn't changed on my list because I knew that right away. I'm like, I need an explosion. What's my favorite explosion? Death Star blowing up. Hands down. There's no question that that is my favorite explosion. Yep. And you know the rock being a food? Like, that yeah. was also, I got to give you mad props for that. Because that's, yeah, that that's just I, really well that done. I struggled on for a while. I had Tiger's Eye for a little while. Because <laughs> I really like Tiger's Eye. It's, I think it's cool. It's one of, I've almost bought some Tiger's Eye dice sets. Because it's one of my my favorite looking, uh, like, yep. what are they, semi-precious gemstones, I think is the name of that category. Yeah. Um, but it's like, that I just didn't feel super strong about until I was Googling, like, cool rocks. And then Halite came up. I was like, <laughs> That's it. That's 
cool, Googling cool rocks. I, yeah, I literally, I think I literally put cool rocks into, into Google. And uh, I mean, once again, you know, the, <laughs> I, I, I kind of love yes. the direction this whole episode took. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. I started this out with uh, like solidifying a list as we went. Yep. You came with a list that cheated and that you had spent time on. Yep. And I think that that really, you know, like hipsters, you know, this is, I guess, we kind of f- fulfilled the deal and we kind of did honor the the y'all and your 10th anniversary. Mm-hmm. We're just a little late to the party. Yeah. And that's our show for today. You can find both of the hosts on Twitter. Hobbs can be found at HobbsQ and Alex can be found at Mel underscore Chronicler. Feel free to send us any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to Goblin Lore Pod on Twitter or email us at goblinlorepodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support your friendly neighborhood gobslugs, to our link tree on our Twitter account and list it in our show notes. This has everything from our discounts for the Grinding Coffee Company to our Patreon. The music for today's show was by Vindergotten, who can be found at vindergotten at badcamp.com. The art was done by Stephen Raphael, who can be found at Steve Raffle on Twitter. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Hipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs> <laughs>